Welcome to this week's sermon from Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. Our senior pastor is Justin Olivetti. To reach Knox Church, please email us at office at knoxepc.com or call us at 716-873-2423. Now, let's listen. All right, we're going to start with our scripture this morning. We're going to read the whole thing through and then we'll kind of break it up as we get into the the scripture. We're going to do a, a little bit of time after Gordon and just some soft music after today, if that's all right, after the sermon. Perfect. It's not in here. but So our scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, and it goes up to the first verse of chapter 11. It's interesting because if you're looking in your pew Bible, uh, they have chapter 11 starting at the end of this segment. It's weird uh, how they decided to reference that. But it's called the believer's freedom, and it reads like this. Everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you And for the conscience of yourself. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by anyone else's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. May God add his blessing to his word. So we'll talk about this idea of honor today, and I always have references. It's either sports or Disney, and we're going to go with Disney today. Uh, For any of you that have seen the movie Mulan, right? Uh, It's about the the Asian culture, and the, the premise of the movie is that the Chinese are being called to war to protect the China from the Huns, right? So some historical accuracies there. And uh, every family has to send their, a man, whether it's their oldest son or the dad has to go. And Mulan's father is aging and not in good health. So Mulan decides that she's going to go and pretend to be a man and represent her family. So she shows up with the scroll, the, the summons, if you will, to her family, and she represents uh, her family. And in order to help her, she asks for the help of her ancestors, and they give her a dragon to help her. Mushu. That was vile. I invite no more butts, right? Played by the wonderful Eddie Murphy, right? So Eddie Murphy, we know he does a good job as donkey and as Mushu. He comes out of the ancestor's temple with a shadow the size of this room, and he comes crawling out, and he's the size of a lizard. And he says, I'm travel size for your convenience, right? <laughs> And immediately, Mulan starts insulting him, like, this is who the ancestors have given me? And he outlines his whole phenomenal powers. And he's like, I might be small, but I have powers like you wouldn't believe. I can see right through that armor you're wearing. And she smacks him across the face. And he gets up, and he's like, that's it, dishonor. Dishonor on you, dishonor on your family, dishonor on your cow, which, ironically, the cow is a horse. He keeps calling the horse a cow, right? But honor keeps coming up because in the Asian culture, I don't claim to know a lot about it, but honoring your family is a huge part of what they do with their lives, right? It's very important to bring honor to the name of their family. And later on in the movie, Mulan gets exposed 
for being a woman and pretending to be a man. And the, the vizier to the emperor is on the battlefield, and he says, um, total dishonor to you and your family, right? High treason, total dishonor to you and your family, and the punishment for her sin is death. Uh, she gets spared. I'm spoiling the whole movie for you. But she gets spared by the commander of the army because she saved his life, and he says a life for a life. But the point of that is to paint the picture of how essential honor is to the culture in, in the Asian culture, right? Bringing honor to the name of your family is something that is, um, they're proud of. It's something that defines them, right? So if we look at the Scripture, let's look at just the first two verses where it says everything is permissible but not everything is constructive, Right? Uh, don't just seek your own good, but the good of others. So this is a letter to the church in Corinth, right? So Paul writes letters to all the churches. That's his epistles. And this one is epistles. This is his letter to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth at this point tended to be, um, I don't want to say self-righteous, but it was kind of, their attitude was, well, if it's not hurting anything, right? So I had a little bit too much on Saturday. But it's not hurting anybody, and it's not hurting anything. And I'm forgiven, Right? We know the gospel says I'm forgiven. So their attitude was very much, uh, well, if it's not hurting anybody, it's not a big deal. Right? And Paul outlines this to say it's not just about you. Like you might be hurting other people. And the other thing that he's trying to outline is just because, you know what, you're right. It's, it's okay, it's permissible, you're forgiven. But is it constructive? Is it good? Right? Is your decision to, you know, whatever, eat, six candy bars for dinner, yeah, it's okay, but is that a good decision? Don't judge me. It was Halloween on Thursday. <laughs> right? You can't, you can say, you know what, I'm fine. I'm still in good health. I didn't die. Like, but overall, is that healthy for you? Right? And he's kind of calling into question here, um, are you bringing honor to your life and more importantly, bringing honor to God? We're kind of uh, jumping ahead a little bit. Then he, then he goes into this really weird um, not necessarily weird, it would have been pertinent at the time, but he goes down this road about food and eating, right? So he starts off, he goes, if you meet, go to the meat market and you buy meat, don't question where it came from. Now for them, obviously they would not eat meat sacrificed to other gods, which makes sense because you're not supposed to do that. That's against the commands of what God would have you do. Um, other religions have different ways of eating meat that's been sacrificed in the Jewish faith or the Christian faith at the time or the Ju Judeo-Christian faith. Um, we talked about this recently. If it was, a, if it was a, a meat item sacrificed as a celebration or a peace offering, you were expected to eat it. If it was a sacrifice to atone for your sins, you were not, right? And in other religions, they had rules about if you could or couldn't eat. But if it was sacrificed to an idol, in theory, you shouldn't eat that meat because it's trying to honor another god, right? So, but he says when you go to the meat market... Don't ask if it was sacrificed to idols. And there's some religious validity to this because if the meat is being sold, that means it clearly is not being used for religious purposes, right? If another religion is sacrificing this animal to their gods, in theory, they're not allowed to sell it. So his point is that once it hits the grocery market shelf, even if they did sacrifice to idols, they did a bad job at it, so don't worry about it, right? So he goes down this route. He also says, if you sit down to a meal at a non-believer's house and they serve you something, eat it. Now this goes beyond religion because my dad was not a Christian and my mom and dad went to dinner at a friend's house years ago, I think before I was born, and there were stewed carrots. And there, my, my dad ate all of them and my mom said to him, you hate carrots, why would you eat that? Why did he eat it? Because it was put in front of him. Right? It, and that was just kind of a sign of respect. But he's saying, 
If you're invited to someone's house for dinner, and they're a non-believer, and they cook up this meal for you, and they put it in front of you, don't be that guy. Well, where did you sort the meat from? Is this organic, right? Is this, is this right? And the point is not about, you know, respect. It's part of it for sure. But the point is, Paul is saying, don't let religion be a stumbling block to enjoying a meal with somebody. Because, here's a spoiler, the point of it is to honor God. And you will honor God by sharing and breaking bread with that person in their home and maybe sharing the gospel with them. And if you instead say, um, I don't think I can eat that because it's not, you know, vegan, now you have, you have offended them or you have cut off that means of communication. But what's interesting is he almost instantly, like, backtracks on that. And he says if they come up to you and they put a plate down and they say, this meat has been sacrificed to idols, you shouldn't touch it because of your conscience and theirs. Because the ultimate goal is to bring glory to God, right? So if they stand in front of you and say, this has been sacrificed to the God of whatever, you can say, sorry, I I worship the God of the Bible. I worship the God of Jacob. I can't partake in this meal that has been sacrificed to one of your gods because it dishonors my God, right? But he says, if they don't say anything, act like nothing happened. Just eat it because you can respect them. Then Paul, he goes this way again. He's like a good politician. He goes this way again. He goes, but if I decide to eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, don't judge me for doing it, right? So he says, just eat what's put in front of you. But wait, wait, wait. If they say it's been sacrificed to an idol, you shouldn't eat it because that's dishonoring to God. But just so you know, if I ate some meat sacrificed to idols, mind your business. Don't worry about what I'm doing. It's a gray line, but the the goal of what he's saying is to bring honor to God through eating when you're eating meals with people. Right? And if you're a strong enough Christian to, to look at this meat that's been sacrificed to an idol and say, This means nothing to me, I'm still gonna eat this meal, then do it. And don't have other people judge you for doing so, because if your goal of that meal is to get these people to know Jesus, who cares what they're feeding you? Because the point is to honor God, right? There's an interesting story in the Bible, and I always reference it. Peter is ministering to some Gentiles, and Paul gets wind that he's trying to change their diet and force them to be circumcised, right? And and Paul finds out about it, and it says that there's a confrontation, that Paul actually gets in Peter's face and yells at him, and he says, you are more worried about the food they're eating than telling them about Jesus. And he corrects them, right? Now, Peter's intentions were to make them more godly, to make them act the way that God commanded in the Old Testament, to make them more Jewish, because after all, the Jewish traditions were handed down by God. And Paul says, you're missing the forest, save the trees. Because you are making it more of a priority to have them eat the correct foods than to know about Jesus. Sit down, shut up, eat, and tell them about Jesus. <laughs> right? So it's interesting because he waffles. It's kind of the same thing with circumcision, right? Paul says you do not need to be circumcised to be saved. It's not important. And then he tells Timothy, hey, you should probably be circumcised. Because Timothy's ministering to the Jews. And that's going to be a stumbling block, right? The goal is to honor God. And that means that we have to be intelligent in how we make decisions, conscious that we're making the right decision, but also have Jesus be supreme over our decisions, right? It's a, it's a tough, uh, it can be tough to navigate. 
have to skip like all my notes. So here we go. So he says at the end, he says um, he essentially paints a picture about what the goal, what the goal of it is. It's for the benefit of others. He keeps calling it the benefit of others. I do these things to benefit others. What does he mean by that? What does it mean to benefit others? What is he trying to show them? Jesus. Right? When he says sit down and eat the meal that's put in front of you, do that to the benefit of others, he doesn't mean to be respectful to them so they won't be offended at you turning up your nose. He means you get to show them Jesus. You get to sit at a table with them and talk to them about Jesus. You get to show them the proper behavior and you're you're being respectful and you're opening a door. Right? Paul's like, when I make these decisions, whatever they might be, to turn down a meal or to accept a meal, circumcised or not, to talk or to be quiet, or to go to Rome or to go to Corinth, whatever, like, I'm doing these things to benefit others. And what he means is he's doing these things to do the best to show them Jesus. Right? So for us, what does it mean to honor God? Right? How do we do that? And I, I, the, the reference that I constantly make is the commandment to honor your father and mother. And I talk to the kids about this all the time. Um, Honoring your father and mother, it kind of goes back to the Mulan reference, is bringing honor to your family name. And I tell them all the time, yes, honoring your father and mother does involve obedience. So of course that means doing what they ask us to do. Right? That we, they make a rational request, they ask us to do something, they ask us to listen to them, whatever. My two-year-old is terrible at this. And you... You do what they tell you because it's mm-hmm. you do what they tell you because it's a form of honoring them. Like out of respect, you do what they tell you to do. But there are times that either parents aren't a part of your life or parents are telling you to do something that you shouldn't listen to. Another pop culture reference, a movie called Precious. There's a, a young girl who's trying to get her education. She wants to get her GED. She wants to go to college. She wants to pursue her dreams in life, and her mom keeps telling her to stop doing that because her mom has plans for her that involve her not going to school and not going to college because she'll make more in welfare if she doesn't do that. And it's tough because she, it's, she, the whole movie is her struggling between listening to her mom and pursuing her dreams, right? And what I say about that all the time, maybe, you know, I tell the kids, maybe your parents aren't a part of your life. Maybe your parents aren't a good influence in your life. Maybe, you know, you don't even see your parents that often, whatever. Um, you can still behave in such a way you can act in such a way that when your teachers, when your youth group leaders, when adults, when your other people see you, they say, man, their parents raised them right, even if they didn't. Right? You can still bring honor to your family name, even if, they, even if they have no part in raising you. They can still be, you can still bring honor to your parents, right? And we do the same thing with God. Now, we know, know God does raise us right. We know that God is a just parent, and but we can, in the way that we act, we can show people God and we can represent him well and honor him. I've used this story before preaching up here, so if you remember it, forgive me. But there was a son who gets hired to work at M&T Bank. I don't know, it's a good, good reference. And everyone knows that his dad is the CEO. And his son gets hired to work in the mailroom. That was my first real job. So he comes into work every day and he is pompous and he is arrogant and he acts like his dad owns the place and he's disrespectful. What do all of his coworkers think about him? They don't like him. And what do they think about his dad? He must be a jerk. Do they know that for sure? His dad could be the nicest guy ever, but the way that he's behaved has made them the view of the CEO tainted. Likewise, the kid comes into work as in the mailroom, and he's as humble as can be, and he brings donuts in, and he's, he's nice, and he is kind to people, and he tends to go out of his way to, to respect people. And what do people think about his dad? Is that true? We don't know. Right? 
And we come across a whole lot of people who don't know God at all. And the way that we act, the way that we behave, we are representing the CEO, right? And people will assume things about God based on our behavior, and that can go one way or the other, right? So when we think about, like, what we do to honor God, I often tend to think about um, the harder things in life. Like when things go sideways. Jordan's not here this morning, but Jordan Chen talked about how at work, uh, when her mom was sick, she said that, you know, she went into work and told her, her supervisor that, you know, Pam wasn't doing well and was probably coming to the end of the line. And her supervisor said, how are you so calm? Like, I would be, I wouldn't be here and I would be a mess. And Jordan was like, I have a peace about it because I know God, Right? And man, what a way to honor God in the midst of the toughest part of her life. Like, she of course was sad. Of course she was struggling. Of course she was mourning. But she was able to be confident because she knew what was going to happen to her mom. But here's a, a woman who, I don't know if she was a Christian or not, but is wondering how Jordan could look like this, how she could act like this. And she says, I'm, because I know what God's going to do in this situation. Right? And she was able to honor God in a really tough situation. Maybe there's times in life that we have to say, I, you know, I don't do that. I don't want to do that. Or, you know, I, I give an example with kids in school all the time. I'm like, when, when people, one of the biggest regrets I have from middle school is I was not the antagonist when it came to making fun of people, but I was good at piling on. And I regret that. Like, it's one of the biggest, biggest things I'm sad about from, like, my eighth grade year because I remember a kid in particular that he was just the punching bag. It was easy to make fun of him. He laughed most times. I'm sure it was hurtful. And, you know, I wasn't the one to go out of my way, but, man, I hated that I didn't, like, at least not participate, right? And I've been in situations with a group of guys, or I've been in situations back when I was younger where, you know, guys would say something about a woman, or would, and I'm, I would just be like, that, that's not me. Like, that's not how I act. That's not how I behave. It wasn't like, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. It was just a, a more reserved. And if they ask, right, if they ask, then you do get to say, you know what, I'm a Christian, that's not how I act, right? I, I try to, because of my beliefs, because of my faith, I don't behave that way. And if they ask more questions, great. If they don't, you just kind of let sleeping dogs lie and you've said your piece, right? There's a story in uh, Change the World by Michael Frost, and there's a guy that reached out to him and said, I live in a cul-de-sac in the garage next to me. Every Friday night they have poker and they drink beer and they invite me all the time, but I don't drink and I don't gamble, so I don't go. And Michael Frost said, how many times have you gotten to talk to them about Jesus? And he said, none. So he said, now, every Friday night, I go over there and I watch them play cards and I drink my Pepsi and they call me Preacher Man. And they ask me for prayer and I've made a relationship with them, right? He thought that by not going, he was honoring God because I don't drink and I don't gamble. When the reality was, the, the truth lied more in the middle where honoring God was showing up but not participating in what they do, but he still was there, Right? So for us to honor God in the workplace, it might mean helping someone out. It might mean taking on that extra shift. It might mean coming in early. It might mean bringing coffee in. I don't know. It might mean everybody's piling up on the supervisor, and even though you agree, you stick up for them. Not easy, right? It might mean if you are the boss, being more compassionate or whatever. Like I think of the workplace right away because I know that's generally the place of stress for most people. Likewise in the family, hopefully the way you handle your kids or your parents or your siblings or your nieces and nephews or your grandparents or whatever, that you handle the situations differently with respect and with integrity with the goal of honoring God. 
Like all of this is not said so that we live life the right way and we're doing a good job so that we have, Paul says, I'm doing it to benefit others. And the benefit is the gospel, right? So I don't know what honoring God looks like in your life because I don't know what you're currently going through. But I can tell you that there's ways to honor God through it and to not honor God through it, right? So then the other part of it is why. Why are we doing this? Why, why not just behave the way that we want? The Corinthians make a good point. If it's not hurting anybody, right? If it's not going to hurt me or hurt anybody, no harm, no foul, right? And the first reason we know is the gospel. We already addressed this a little bit. Christians get a bit of a bad rap. Some of it's deserved. Um, I met one of the, the kids' moms. I took them home from youth group. And um, the first thing that the mom ever said to me was, you know, I used, to be, I used to like the church or I used to want to be a Christian, but so many people in the church are way too judgmental. I had about 9,000 things to say to that, right? Worked in the church for 13 years. I've been coming here for 26 years. I had good and bad things to say about what she said. But it's really difficult standing in 7-Eleven at 9.30 on a Tuesday night to extrapolate on that and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm really sorry that happened to you because sometimes people are really hard on each other. And I left it at that. I would love to be able to sit down and talk to her and be like, what happened and why? And you know what? Christians aren't perfect. And we're so- I'm sorry that we're not, but we're really trying our best. And the biggest thing that I want to tell people who say that is like, I am so sorry that people in the church hurt you. And I'm devastated that that's pulling you away from Jesus. Right? Because that's, that's what happens. And you can't blame them because their emotions are real. Their feelings are validated and real. Right? So we can't just say, oh, don't be silly. Nobody's perfect. That's a really bad answer. Right? But it's a real thing. So why do we act differently? Why do we behave a certain way? Why do we show compassion? Why do we forgive when no one else would? Why do we not do this and that and drunk and whatever? Why don't we... You know, talk that way. Why don't we talk bad about people? Why don't we, right? And it's because we want to hopefully have firm ground to stand on to represent Jesus that we aren't the people that turn people off to Jesus. Right? Because unfortunately, people let their relationships with people in the church affect their relationship with Jesus. And, that's, and I can't say that I blame them all the time because it, it, it happens, right? The other reason, and I think Paul addresses this time and time again in the Scripture, is that it gives us a clear conscience. Now, what that means, when we lay down at the end of the night, if we know we did what God would want us to do in a situation, we can sleep well. I see a lot of people that are like, I'm tired of doing nice things for people or being there for people when they wouldn't do the same for me. And in my mind, I'm like, no. Because I'm still upset that I made fun of that kid in eighth grade. I'm 32 years old now, you know, like, I don't lose sleep over it, but it still bugs me, right? And our conscience, if we have a clear conscience, it allows us to be more clear-headed in ministry, to be more clear-headed in day-to-day life. It's when, when things start to creep in, like the doubts or the anger or the sin, that's going to taint how we behave the next time, right? So the clear conscience is important for us going forward. It's not about just feeling good about ourselves. It allows us to represent Jesus well because we have a clear frame of mind and a clear heart, right? So that gives us that opportunity. Yeah, we sleep better at night. Yeah, we feel better. But it gives us that clear, like, 
clear frame of mind to see things better. We know when we're mad. We know when we're emotional. We know when we're stressed. We know when we're frazzled. We don't see things as clearly as when we're not. So it's when we behave in the right way and we know we did the right thing that it's going to be easier next time, right? And lastly, someday we will stand before God. And if we can stand before him with a clear conscience and confidently say, I did my best to honor you. What's that? Fought the good fight, right? So we stand before God and we know that at every opportunity, we tried our hardest to honor him in word and in deed. He gives us the most beautiful sentence we'll ever hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. We don't leave it on the table. We don't stand before him wishing we had that back. We don't stand before him. Now, the beauty is we get grace and forgiveness. But man, like I don't want to stand before God and be like, I can't believe I didn't do this. I can't believe I did do this. I can't believe I... And here's the deal. I'm saved anyway. Like we'll rip our hair out and we'll be so stressed out over it. But the beauty of being able to stand before God and say, I gave you everything I have and I've got nothing left to give. And God says, welcome home, come rest up. Great job. We get welcome home anyway, don't worry about that, right? But if we live our life honoring God, we get to stand before him someday with a clear heart, a clear mind, and a clear soul, and that's going to make that interaction a lot less stressful on us, right? And I know we're not perfect, that's not what I'm asking of us, that's not what the scripture's asking of us, right? But man, we run it through the filter, how does this honor God? How does this sentence I'm about to say honor God? How does this action I'm about to do honor God? And we'll make mistakes, and there's grace waiting for us when we do. But man, when our goal is to honor God, what a great finish to have not only us here, well done, good and faithful servant, but maybe our coworkers, our family, our friends, because we've been able to lead them toward Jesus because of the way that we acted. Amen? My God, we pray that in all we do, we honor you. We pray that you would be lifted up by our words and our actions that would lead people to know you and to follow you. We pray that in all we do, we honor you. Not because we're looking for a trophy and an award and a medal, but because, one, you've commanded us to honor you, but two, uh, that we would serve you well by way of the gospel, that people would look at the way we live our lives and be attracted to you, Jesus, because of our behavior. So when we come up short, we need you to point it out and forgive us and give us grace and help us to be better next time. And Lord, we all want to stand before you and be told what a great job we did with our lives as we enter the pearly gates of heaven someday. So, God, we pray your blessing into our lives. And as we transition now to uh, the giving of our tithes and offerings, I pray that our heart and our mind and our soul would be in the right place uh, because of your word and because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ lays down his life for us and offers us Forgiveness for sins and eternal life. And what a better way to repay him than to honor him in word and in deed and all we do to give honor to the, the one who died for us and the one who loves us, Jesus Christ. Go in peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening. It is our sincere prayer that today's message has brought you closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We welcome you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. You can also audio stream our full service. Details can be found at our website, www.noxepc.com. Our church is fully wheelchair accessible and loop enabled for the hearing impaired. 
For a full schedule of activities and more information on our beliefs, visit our website at www.knoxepc.com or call our church office at 716-873-2423. Thanks again for listening.